Thank you, Micah and team. I want to do two things today. First, I want to tell you about something new, and then I want to invite you to be a part of what we're doing. I want to tell you about something new because it's really in us. It's important and it's urgent and so important and urgent that we're interrupting our normal programming. We're not saying today, turn to 1 Corinthians. We'll say that next week and thereafter. So we're going to push that uh, pause today so that we can tell you something that's really important in the life of our church. Uh, It's about our future. It's about growing up, and you'll hear about it today. I'm going to tell you about it, and I want to invite you to be a part of of it, and that will require some openness on your part to hear uh, what we have to say today. Listen, it's true. It's a leadership principle I learned long ago. Uh, It's part of leadership, part of my role here, and I'm looking at some young leaders who will be leading uh, one day, and this is really important. You can tell what someone believes in by what they ask for. You can tell what someone believes in by what they ask for. If you're going to lead, you're going to need to learn to ask. In fact, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. If you ask, um, it'll be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. That's a promise of prayer, but it really covers a large gamut. Young men, I see some young men. Can I just say, look at me today. Ask that girl out. Ask, take the initiative. Don't sit at home playing video games and watching CBS and stuff, basketball. And stuff. Ask, out. take the initiative. A a couple of months back, I was at a Wendy's in Ridgeland. I guess I was having a bad moment. And someone recognized me. They said, hey, Pastor Pastor Green, which is not what I want to be called. Uh, But he he approached me and said, hello. And and I I have some rapport with him. And he said, hey, you know, I can't give it away, but it's like, I'm selling this thing. You know, I work for this company. We got this thing. And you think the church would need some? I bet you do. And I said, we might, but I don't, I'm I'm not in charge of that. Uh, That's Jake Cole, our director of operations. He oversees finances and facilities. You ought to holler at Jake. And I'm sure we'd be open to something like that, at least considering it. And then I just began to talk to him and he was, you know, gave me a sales pitch. And then a few minutes later, I said, well, how are you doing? He goes, well, not good. And I I hate my job. Probably going to quit and uh, that sort of thing. And I was like, okay, so you want to sell me something? but you hate it or you're going to quit. I was like, not a good leadership principle. Are you with me, young people? So it really helps if you're uh, buying what you're selling. It really helps if you believe in what you're talking about, what you're asking for. And uh, although uh, there could be a wall of defense today with some of you, I really believe in what we're asking for today. I believe uh, in what we're doing. I want to frame it from the scripture, not from 1 Corinthians, but from Psalm 78. The 78th Psalm, if you want to turn there or just wait on us and we'll have it on the screen. Psalm 78, and we're going to read verses in just a moment, read verses 2 through 7 as we tell you about what's new and ask you to join with us. Psalm 78. There we are. He says this, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants, and we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children, and then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands." In verses 2 and verses 6 there, it says, uh, it'd be good to highlight it if your Bible's open. It says, the next generation. Growing up here at Fondren is for us today and in these weeks and months ahead, I want to talk to you about the next generation. Now, Psalm 78 uh, could be uh, very well represented by three chairs. One in the middle, two on the sides here. And the middle chair... It's the seat 
that you're sitting in today. I know you're thinking, preacher, I'm in a pew, not a chair. I just want to say, don't mess up my illustration, okay? I know, I know what's up here, but let's, let's just say the, the chair represents, it, it's where you are today. It's church for you. It's the place that you sit. Anybody have a regular seat that they sit in? Like you're always looking for that one place when you walk in here, and if somebody's in it, you're all up in their grill, or, you know, you, yeah. I have a, she passed away in 2018. I did her funeral. My Miss Mavis, my grandmother, and she was one of the saintly, most godly women I know and uh, there was a time at her Methodist church in Belmont, Mississippi, where someone, she had the same seat for decades, and someone came and sat in her seat, and my grandma asked them to move, a guest. They never had guests. She, she, she should have been nice, but they, uh, they, she asked them to straight up move. But maybe you have a, a seat that you go toward a section. Some of y'all don't. That really messes me up, by the way. I just want to let you know my pastor's heart here, but I love it when I can see you in a, in, in a se- section. But a seat represents uh, your place in church. Who invited you to church? When did you first come to church? This church or the church? When did you first come? What's your church story? I bet you didn't see a billboard. I bet somebody invited you. I bet somebody invested in you in your life and invited you. Did you come as a kid? Did you come as an adult? Who invited you? As we talk about the next, you know, growing up at Fondren Church, um, statistics tell us that most people come to faith when they're 15 or younger. So we talk about this next generation, it's really important. But the middle seat is where you are today. And the middle seat, you got to look over here to this first seat. This seat represents uh, the people who've gone before us, the people who invited us, the the people who invited us into faith, into the church. It could represent um, for us today, uh, if you're a member of Fonder Church especially, it could represent the people that were here 11 years ago to help start the church or Woodland Hills Baptist Church, the people who, who built this very building. But what I love about these um, three chairs and what they represent, this chair is it's our ancestors. We read about them in Psalm 78. It's the people who went before us. No matter how you came to faith, if you came as a child or an adult, no matter your story, someone led you there. Someone went before you. Jesus prayed a prayer in John 17 where he prayed for the disciples that they would be in the world but not of the world. He said it a little bit differently than that in John 17. But he said, hey, you know, um, I pray that you would be sanctified in the truth. The word is truth. I pray for you, for your unity, so that the world may believe that you sent me. But I pray not only for you, but for those who would believe on me through your word. What's beautiful and unique about Christianity is there's always been a chair. You can, you can line chairs up all the way to Jesus. And there's been generational things, but there's never been a break in the chair. There's always been someone who's gone before us. But it's easy for us. And then the final chair over here, the chair to your far right is the, the third chair here. It's easy to think of past, present, and future. And this is, this is the seat. This seat should represent people who aren't here yet. This seat could represent uh, the next generation. Uh, it's easy for churches. I would say, this is my analysis, that most churches are two-chair churches. Uh, startup churches have a lot of energy and a lot of youth. They've got no history or tradition, and it's easy for startup churches like Fondren Church was 11 years ago to think about the future. You're casting vision. You're getting people to be involved in something in the present, and you have no idea if it's going to work, if it's going to take, if it's going to touch lives, what impact it will have. But you're pointing people to the future with little uh, knowledge or respect or appreciation for the past because it's something new. It's just getting started, and it's easy for upstart churches, new churches, to worship trends or try to be hip or cool or whatever and uh, forget the past. Um, 
11 years ago when we got started, uh, we started in Dueling Hall. We were essentially in a, in a multi-purpose room that had concerts and shows and fun stuff. And it was a Dueling Hall. It was a, it was a bar. And we started there. And when we moved over here uh, nine years ago, someone, actually a couple of people asked me, they said, Robert, you sure we want to do this because it could mess up our vibe. And I, that messed me up. I don't, y'all think I'm like this secure, confident leader? Look at me. I'm not. And that just messed up my vibe. I'm like, oh, no, what if, we, what if, we, what if it messes everything up? And people came to church because we were in a bar. And now we've got pews and steeple and stained glass. And it's going to mess everything up, you know. And I thought about that. And then after we got over here with some fear and trepidation, a ton of excitement, I remember thinking, I'm so glad that we've got what we have here. That when you walk in this room, that a young church, a decidedly young church, is reminded architecturally and, vis- and visibly that we have a historic faith that people have gone before us, and it's not just us. It makes you appreciate the beginning. And uh, I've got a cool announcement in this portion of the sermon. But um, 11 years ago, Laura McAlpin, my dear friend, many of you know and love Laura, she was holding babies uh, in the back of the room at Dueling Hall. We didn't really have any money. We, it, they could barely pay me, and we didn't, couldn't pay anybody else. But Laura worked for peanuts and pennies and stuff. But she held babies uh, in the back of the room there as we were getting started. And 11 years later, as she's grown from our children's minister to our marriage minister, and she's helped equip couples uh, for their wedding day, for their marriage, she's going to serve with us full-time starting in July. Isn't that great? So Laura McAlpin is going to go from, from part-time to full-time. You can clap. Yeah. Come on, go all in. We don't want the golf clap. We don't want the golf clap. We want you to bring it. Yep. And uh, we're just thrilled to have Laura to be on the team. She's a friend and a confidant, someone I respect. She'll be on our executive team. She'll, she'll oversee our groups. She'll coach leaders and make sure that people don't fall through the cracks. She'll oversee congregational care to make sure that people are being loved on. And I'm so excited about that. You know, even in 11 years, we have a history that we can look back on and say, here's what God has done. I think of the people of Woodland Hills Baptist Church. They're not our church. Uh, we were never wed with them, but we shared a space with them, and they, they were excited to have us. They were the landlord, and we were the tenant, and we walked this relationship for five years. This week in my office, uh, someone brought me some clippings and some old stuff. I've got some, but they brought this picture from Clarion Ledger, 1980. Uh, take a look at it. Uh, this is 1980. Now, this building was built in 1947. This wing was added in 1955. This wing was added a year later. And the gym or the community center was added in 1966. One of our staff, by the way, a couple weeks ago said, boy, the gym is great. I love how we're using it. It looks good. We've really refurbished it. But it's old. And it was built in 1966. It's old, the same year I was born. Uh, the staff member didn't realize that they were calling me old. Uh, <laughs> But look, 1980, remember it was built in 47, they were capping it off, and the second caption says, Simp Steeple, finally going up. And then lastly, after more than a 30-year wait, they added uh, the steeple. Our faith is a historic faith. This church, I'm so glad that another church called Northside Baptist Church got started in 1930, and they went through the Depression and a couple of world wars, and they moved several times, and I'm sure they had all the uh, joys and skirmishes that's involved in a, a leading a church. And they, the first few years, do you know they didn't have air conditioning in this place? A quick question, would you worship at Fonner Church if, they, if we didn't have air conditioning? Anybody? Can I tell you, I wouldn't worship at Fonner Church if we didn't have it. Maybe a few months out of the year, but not nine of them. But I'm so glad that our faith, and let me tell you my heart today as we talk about growing up. It is my hope and my prayer that our church would become a three-chair church. 
that we could look back on our history and every year that God grows us, we can look back on another year that he's been faithful. And we can tell stories and we can see his faithfulness and how he worked in our midst. And we can thank the people who built this building and then one day turned it over uh, to us. And I want us to think to be in the moment, but to think about the future. And can I just say a mark of a great church, a mark of a great church is that this, this would ultimately be the most important chair. That we would not be nostalgic about the past. We wouldn't be blinded in our present with our preferences and what we want and the way we do things. But that we would be driven. That we would think mostly about this chair because it represents our children. It represents the people who aren't here yet. Can I just say if we're your church, would you pray that with me? That we would care about our future. And that if you circle those two words uh, twice in this passage, the next generation would be on our heart. As, we, uh, as I'm unveiling this to you today in this special sermon, I want to invite you to, grow, to join us in growing up in three ways. And if you do this and I do this and we do this together, we will see God do something uh, that we can give him the glory for. The first is, would you join us growing up by inviting people? Let me give you a little secret. After a while, church will grow stale. It will get a little bit boring if you're not inviting someone if you don't say to a friend, if, you don't, if you're not concerned about the spiritual well-being of another and you don't say to them, hey, would you sit with me on Sunday? I'm saving you a seat. Church will get a little bit boring. But if you invite someone, can I tell you what will happen? There's this strange phenomenon uh, known as heightened awareness. Here's what you will have. You will have heightened awareness if you invite a friend to church for the first time or if they're coming back to church here's what this is this happens okay some of you I love I love your testimony you'll invite someone to church and here's what you'll start looking at church differently again almost like for the first time you'll start caring if the people are friendly you'll you'll want the sermon to be sound and the singing to be good and the coffee to to be hot and you'll again you want the people to be friendly you'll start looking at things differently and you'll look at it with fresh eyes I remember not long ago, a lady in our church said, hey, pastor, uh, appreciate you and everything. I've been inviting my boss. He's a, a, a skeptic. He hasn't been to church in a while. He doesn't really believe in God, but I've invited him to church, and he's finally taken me up, and he's coming next Sunday. Are you preaching? And don't blow it. <laughs> and that, honestly, can I just tell you, there's a little bit of pressure there, uh, but I love that, and I want to be mindful. Look, I would like to partner with you if this is your church, that we can work together and that we'll always be mindful that this room, uh, this room always has people that are devoted to Jesus and has people that aren't sure. It always, there's a pain in every pew and there's a problem and there's doubts. Even after the resurrection, Matthew tells us, he says that some worshiped and some doubted. And that's true in this room now. And we always want to preach there. We always want to serve and love and lead there so that you, so that you will want to invite people. That you, and listen, a strange phenomenon happens. You'll have heightened awareness about church and what, what matters. So I want to issue that challenge that you'll invite people. And surveys say that people are most open to coming to church uh, when they're experiencing the following. When they're getting married or they're going through a divorce or they're having a baby or they're, they just lost a job, or they've, they've moved to a new city, or they're experiencing the loss of a loved one, or it's Easter, or Christmas. And so look, everybody, great timing today, huh? The sermon point can hit home. You've got two weeks to invite someone to Easter service, and I bet you, uh, if you're kind of a decent person and nice, they'll probably come with you. 
if you invite them. If they don't have a spiritual home or a place they're already committed to, invite them uh, to be a part. I pray that we would be a culture that invites people as we seek to see God do his work here. The second thing I want to challenge you is we are asking you to, to join us in growing up is to grow up in your giving, to be a part, to have a plan to support your local church. When I talk about giving, and I don't often, I've got a little something in my back pocket. I like to break it out every three or four years. So a few of you may have heard this, but uh, the church gets a bad rap on money. Wouldn't you agree? And I hope and pray that we lead our church with transparency, with integrity, and with generosity. And when we talk about money, we talk about money the way Jesus would talk about money. And he talked about money a lot because he realized money has a hold on our heart. That it's easy for us to form attachments to our possessions, to think, to believe lies that it'll make us happy and it'll give us more of what we need. And so uh, giving is this important rhythm. It's a spiritual practice. It's a concrete fundamental principle that God gives us to train our hearts toward generosity, to see the world as he sees the world, to invest in our eternity. So this is the thing I pull out every few years because the church gets a bad rap about money. And many times it's justifiably so. Can I say that? I, I join you when I, see what, uh, when I see the scandal, when I see leaders profiting and doing what the scripture calls being fond of sordid gain, of getting ahead on the backs of people. Not a good thing. But here's what's unique about the church. What's unique about the church is it's the only place in town where you can go and where you're not required to give. Now stay with me for a second. If you went to um, a local restaurant here and you had a burger or something uh, after church today and you just walked out, you didn't pay, you just walked out, uh, what are they going to do? What's going to happen to you? Uh, they're going to catch you probably in the parking lot and uh, you'll be subject to some level of criminal prosecution probably. Uh, what happens if you go to a local mall? Does anybody go shop anymore? You go to a mall, you go to Renaissance or somewhere, and you walk in and you grab something off the rack. You grab a shirt or something off the rack, and you don't pay for it. You just walk out. What happens to you? They're going to come after you, aren't they? They've got surveillance cameras, so they could come after you later, if you know what I'm saying. But they're coming after you, but the church is the only place I can think of where we don't chase you down in the parking lot. We, we wanna, it's not a matter of imposition. It's a matter of inspiration. So we want to inspire you to think about your wallet, to surrender that area of your life to Jesus, and to, 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 to be inspired to, to give, to be a part of regular systematic giving to your local church. Now, we don't chase anybody down, but yet, and we never would. I'm not suggesting that we ever would. We, we shouldn't. Let me just say that. We shouldn't. But the church never does that. And week after week, people file in, and you're always welcome. Again, a matter of inspiration, not imposition, but tons of people file into local churches week after week and never, ever, ever contribute to the local church, never give anything. They're inspired by the messages, moved by the music, blessed by the children's ministry, the student ministry, the programs, the opportunities, but don't give or don't have a plan to give. Can I challenge you this morning to have a plan to give to your local church? We're inviting some of you. Picture a ladder. There's a writer named Nelson Searcy that shared this with me many years ago. The picture that I have a ladder. I'm 56 years old, so I'm not going to stand on a ladder today like some younger pastors would. But picture the lowest rung on the ladder, it, it, on, and on that lowest rung, uh, there's the words, first-time giver. When we talk about growing up, when I challenge you to, to be a part of growing up, for you it could be becoming a first-time giver. When you step on the ladder, you've never given to the local church before. That could be uh, what you do. That could be the next step 
for you. The, the, another step on that ladder is to become a percentage giver, to systematically give, not just to sporadically give when it's a, a, a flight of fancy or some mood or of the moment, but to think about giving as rhythm, giving as, uh, as a system. When people come to me and they're afraid to start tithing, when I invite them, as I'm doing you now, to walk into God's financial blessing in your life by inviting God into your financial life. And those who are scared to do it, I, I really think you should jump into the tithe, but, but practicing a percentage could be the first step for you. But the tithe is the next step on the ladder. It's the third step. It's the tithe. It's where you say, I give 10% off the top. It's what Susan and I have done our whole married life. We wouldn't have any money left over if we waited to give. So we have to give it first, as Proverbs says. We have to give it first and off the top to trust him for it. And can I just say, it is a thrilling adventure to live that way. And to, to have a testimony, I've said it recently in another context, but um, 90% with God is better than 100% without him. And we have found that, and I'm not a prosperity preacher. I do have stories of his amazing provision in our life. I've got stories of like, we were down and out and last minute, look, God was clutch in our lives and clutch in the life of our church. But I will just tell you in manifold ways, Susan and I have seen God's blessing in our lives. We hope this for our children, that they will invite God into their financial life. And so I've, I've been, we've been practicing a principle uh, other pastors preach this. It's called the 10-10-80 principle where uh, I, I invite you to give 10% off the top to God as an act of worship through your local church. Bring the tithe into the storehouse. Then the next 10%, save it because you want to have a future. Young people, listen to me. Start saving now. Uh, Y'all don't make any money, do you? So forget it. But uh, when you start making a little bit of money, save that money. Save that. Save 10% and then you have 80 and live on 80. No matter how you have to live, live on that 80 and watch, watch um, God provide for you. Watch him bless you uh, in so many ways. Um, I believe this, that uh, your commitment, I've said this before to some of you, but commitment to church, the most important financial commitment that you can make is investing in your local church. You're investing for eternity, and you're helping build a church. You're helping spread the gospel. You're helping love on the lives of children and students. Um, you're helping plant new churches. You're going to people in need. Quick question, when someone is hurting, where do they turn? If you're hurting physically, if you bump your knee and it's bad, or if you have a boating accident or a car accident, uh, if your chest gets tight and constricted, uh, where do you turn? You go to a, a medical clinic, you go see a doctor or a physician, or you go to the hospital when you're physically hurting. But when your heart is broken, when you're in a spiritual crisis of meaning, where do you turn? Some of you don't need this. You don't know it's your story. But can I tell you from firsthand experience, people turn to their house of faith. People come here looking for meaning. People come to us, and not just on Sunday, all throughout the week. We've, there was a man years ago who pulled up with a gun in the very back of the parking lot and texted one of us and asked us, should he keep living? The local church is on the front lines, and that's why it's worthy of your investment. I want to read a text I got from Ricky Cox. He sent this to me right before our first service here. He said this, and he is in, he's from Rolling Fork, and he's in Rolling Fork. He said, Robert, just wanted you to know that I have had so many people from Fondren Church reach out and offer help and prayers, and I want to let you know how much that means to me and everyone in Rolling Fork. I don't want to name names because I've had so many calls and messages. God is good, and I love my church. Can I tell you what that means to me? 
and we're getting it right. And we'll give you information uh, today or later on our socials and such of how you can be involved if you want to. If some of you have flexible schedules uh, like I, I have, and you can um, come with us this week to serve and to be on the front lines, whether it's distributing water in Jackson, staying in Jackson, and helping fight the, the, the plague of crime. We've had the Renaissance director and local law enforcement ask us just this week, reach out to say, hey, can we use the community center on the regular? Already we have student ministry there, college ministry there, Red Door Mentoring, our Celebrate Recovery program. But we have room in a lot of different ways to love and bless our community. So I want to encourage you to join us in growing up in your inviting and in your giving. And lastly, thirdly, in your serving. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 to 14. It says we have apostles and prophets evangelists, preachers, and teachers, and those men and women do their job so that you would do your job if you're a Christian. It says this, so that to equip, they lead to equip his people for works of what? Service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful uh, scheming. Somebody said it this way, if you're not fortified by good ideas, you'll be, you'll be victimized by bad ones. If you're not fortified with good ideas, you'll be victimized with bad ones. And it's why we preach the word. It's why we point you to what is ultimately truth about a Savior who loves. It's why when we gather, we're either implicitly or explicitly telling you, reminding you, that salvation is greater than sin, that life is greater than death, and that what you see is not all that there is. There's a lot more to this world, and there is a spiritual world and a God who created you, who's designed you and invites you in a loving relationship with him. And so find a place, uh, find a place where you can serve. When we talk about growing up, there's something very specific. It's based on a need that's both important and urgent, and it has to do with Psalm 78, with us investing in the next generation, yes, of people who aren't here, but in our youngest of people. Remember, most people come to faith when they're 15 years or younger. So we want to be ready specifically to minister to students and children uh, in our church. And I want to hone in for a second on children. My wife was here at the first service. She's our children's minister. I made her very happy when I shared four reasons, uh, four ways or reasons to serve in children's ministry. Here's the first. You will enjoy it. Have you noticed that kids say the darndest things? Have you noticed, I made that up here on the spot, have you noticed that, uh, that there's joy and laughter in children that we don't always possess? Like, I don't have the stat in front of me, but you know the stat, you've heard the stats, like how many, how many times you laugh a day and how many times children laugh a day. And when you serve in children's ministry, you'll see joy and spontaneity and creativity. And I'm telling you, every single Sunday, someone tells me what a kid said at church, and I love it. And I've never gone down there, but I hear great reports and uh, believe that some of you uh, should go down there and serve. There will be joy in serving in kids' ministry. Secondly, another reason to serve is you will make a difference. You will make a difference. Kids need a faithful, continual presence in their lives to demonstrate God's faithful, continual presence in their own life. Kids need, they need rocks. They need stability. And what we want to do is create a church. I, I think about, imagine with me the mom. She's got a few kids and her husband is unsure of faith and he's not leading spiritually uh, at the home. And she desires to get back into church. She desires that her children will learn a faith and possess faith and have faith to get them through and to get them to heaven. But she's concerned and she's excited, so she comes to church. She comes here because one of you invited her. 
And she, without him, she's hoping that they'll have a good experience and that it'll be so good that the kids will go home and they'll talk about it. And her husband, that dad, he will want to come the next Sunday. And she pulls into the campus and here's what I hope and pray for her is that she would find friendly people and she would find safety and security. And I'll tell you in a moment, I'm getting ahead of myself, but we want to establish appealing environments. We want place, this place to be spacious and clean and orderly. Spacious and clean because it says uh, you are welcome here and orderly because it says what we're doing is important. And that's what we desire. And I would hope that that mom would find a place, a parking place, and she'd see a big burly guy that's working security. They ain't going to take nothing off nobody. And she would walk in and say, the check-in would be smooth. And when she gets your child, those children, into that room, she would find a faithful, continual presence that would be a tangible expression of God's love in their life. And that's what I hope and pray. The third reason to serve in children's ministry you will be reminded of the nature of faith. When Jesus said, when they came to Jesus and said, well, who is the greatest? Jesus brought children. Religious people were arguing over who the greatest. We have that same problem today. You guys talk about pastor this and pastor that and the greatest that, that I, and it's like, be careful because Jesus said the greatest people aren't the celebrity Christians, it's the servants, it's the children. And he brought a ch child in front of him and said, this is greatness, their trust, their humility. And here's what I would say to you. Children are impressionable, but they're not innocent. And they've got sin bound up in them, and they need the grace of God, and they need to see it demonstrated by people who will love them and partner with parents at home to make sure they're receiving the guidance and instruction they need and the truth of God's word. And here's what we want based on Psalm 78. We want them not only to hear it, we want them to get it. And in order for them to get it, the teaching needs to be fun. There needs to be creativity and joy, and you can be a part of it. Number four, um, is this, you will learn to communicate the truth more effectively. There's a German a scholar, his name is Helmut, last name is too hard to pronounce, I should have offered, got your help there. Um, Helmut somebody, a German, is Helmut a, that a common name? How do you say it? How, would you, how should I say it? What? Yeah, yeah, that. <laughs> I, that would take me three minutes to say that, we don't have time, but yeah, what he said, there's my German brother over there, but uh, this German scholar um, over there, he says that um, one of his leadership principles for seminary students who are pursuing advanced doctoral degrees, he requires them, while they're getting this advanced uh, theology degree, he requires all of them to teach children Sunday school. And his premise is this, and I, I'm all in on this. He says, the, the premise is, if you can't explain faith to a child, then you don't understand the essentials of faith. Isn't that good? And you can be a part of this. You can learn to grow in your communication and your faith. And Susan and I, we're older than a lot of you, but we love the young people. We love the young families. And we laugh at y'all as y'all get questions from your children about God and faith. We don't, we don't answer it. We just laugh because uh, we were there. We got through it. You can too. Good luck. Um, let me share with you more specifics as we round toward home today. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Will you join us in growing up? Here's what it, this is ultimately about. It's ultimately about this, investing in the next generation. I'm plagiarizing from the verse we read today twice. Investing in the next generation. Growing up is about this. It's about establishing appealing environments for our children that are safe and clean and orderly, that say this matters, you matter, and what we're doing here is very important. It's safe and it's clean and it's creative and it's fun. Secondly, we want to partner with parents to be a consistent, faithful presence in their lives each week. The, um, there's a prison known as Alcatraz. It's considered to be the father of all penitentiaries. And Alcatraz has five rules for every incoming prisoner. I hope you never find out. But Alcatraz has five rules. And the fifth rule is, 
Hey, hey, new incoming prisoner, you have a right to food, clothing, shelter, and basic medical care. Everything else is a privilege. And listen to me for a second. This may be a stretch. That's okay for a prison, but it's not good for a family. And we want to, we want to enter in and partner with parents. Last Friday morning, some young men in our church invited me out to Joe's Diner in Flowood. And they were talking about a book that I'd recommended called Intentional Fatherhood. I was so, I was no way I was going to say no uh, to meeting with this group of men to see how they're going through fatherhood. And I'm just like a decade ahead of them or two. But to listen to them talk about what it means, how they were fathered and how they're missing it and how they want to get it right. And I didn't in the moment, but I will right now. In Matthew chapter 3, when Jesus was baptized... It says that he was coming up out of the water, the, the heavens opened and a, a, a spirit descended like a dove. This is Trinity stuff. The Holy Spirit comes down and the, he heard the voice of the Father. What did the voice of the Father say at Jesus' baptism? This is my son who I love and who I'm well pleased. And there, friends, look at me, young men especially. Those are four distinguishing signs of fatherhood. His father was there his father, they felt his father's presence. His father expressed love and his father expressed pleasure. And you look at brokenness and you look at pain and you look at hurt. And I don't care about politics. Send me any links or articles you want to. This is a massive void in our lives. And look at me, we want to get this right and we want to partner with you. We're doing a parenting workshop for moms and dads uh, coming up next month in our new uh, room behind me, the steeple hall. We, are, we, we want to invest in groups. We want to invest in the lives of people so that we can partner uh, with you. That's what growing up is about. You'll see much more purpose and intention as we move toward our future. Um, next up, here's what we're needing to get very specific. We believe that God is calling us to, uh, to move up to the third floor. We're running out of space for children. A lot of our members are having their second and third babies now, and we've run out of room right here. Uh, this is not me manufacturing something. This is my wife and Daniel Wagner, people coming to us and saying, we need to move. What do you think, preacher? But there's a great obstacle in front of us. For eight and a half plus years, we have been uh, remodeling this space and making it available for gatherings. But we need more space for children's ministry. And if we are able to do that, we need 30 new people to serve. So we need space and we want to renovate. I'm pointing to it now. It's the final frontier of renovation. If you like facilities like I do, it's the final frontier of renovations right here. It's this north wing. It's, the, it's shaped like an L. And we're envisioning. We've, we've had architects. We've had planners. We've had people. The elder board met there. We held hands and we prayed and we got real excited. And I felt compelled today to punt the regularly scheduled program to put this in front of you. And we will in the weeks ahead and months ahead. And we need this to be, I believe we need it to be this year. And so this is a big goal. If you're wondering, well, preacher, you know, you're, you're kind of you're whacked out right now. I probably am. This is a big goal. It really is. And I think, I know that it will require sacrifice. So I'm asking you to consider the following. Would you consider where you are, if you would want to grow up with us, want to be a part of growing up and where you could be financially on the leadership ladder? Maybe for you, it's becoming a first-time giver. We'll look at this in the 16th chapter of 1 Corinthians when they take up a collection. We'll look at what it means to be a church and take up a collection and how they did it. But I've said this before, everybody needs to give and every gift is needed. 
but maybe it's time for you where you could become a tither or if you're a regular systematic giver, this could be a season for you where you could say, hey, here's what I could do over and beyond our current level of giving. This is my prayer for our church and I believe it's what God is calling us to. You can tell what someone believes in by what they ask for. And I know we may fall right on our face on this, but I believe God is calling, it to us, calling us to it, and I hope that we can rejoice in the weeks ahead. I don't know if this could be ready for the fall. I sure would like it to be. I hope, I hope it could be. It needs to be, uh, but we'll have to make do. But our staff told me, Robert, we don't want to make do. Uh, we want to establish these appealing environments and partner uh, with our families. Would you stand with me? And I want to pray over us uh, that this message would take root as God intends. Father, thank you for this morning, for this word, and for Psalm 78. Lord, I pray that Fondren Church would be a three-chair church. I thank you for the church. We're not the best church. We're not the greatest church. We're not the largest church. We're not the the -the fill-in-the-blank church, but we're a church that's a part of the church. And I thank you for a succession of chairs that lines all the way back to Jesus, who prayed for his disciples, who wanted them to live by faith and sacrifice We see disciples who did all three. They were people who were inviting. They were giving and they were serving. And the church gets it right, Galatians 5, Lord, when we don't bite and devour one another, but we humbly serve one another in love. Help us be that church. Lord, would you provide as you guide? Lord, would you move in hearts to give sacrificially over and beyond? Would you prompt people to trust you, to bring you into their financial world? That it's not just about acquiring and consuming and saving and investing. That there's a big principle there called giving that's missing. Lord, would you do your work? In Jesus we pray. Amen. Um, I want to invite you to come to the table today. Leaders are going to come forward to the elements. And I would like you to follow the person in front of you if you're a Christian. Nobody's monitoring the room. We're not here to slap anybody on the hand or doubt anybody's salvation or whatever. This is not about church membership or denominational affiliation. This is about, have you made the confession as Jesus as Savior? And if you have, Jesus invites us to regularly remember him with the cup, the bread broken for him, uh, the blood, the the juice, the wine, uh, as symbol of his blood shed for us. So we take the cup, follow the person in front of you, take the cup back to your seat, and when it's right for you, as we sing together as a church family, uh, in that moment, you just take the cup as an act of remembrance. Paul would say to the church in Corinth, for he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When I take communion, often my prayer is, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you paid the penalty for my sin so that I don't have to. Let's offer him our worship as we come.